0: We're grateful you're here, and and, uh, we've got two weeks before homecoming, our 50th anniversary, and I thought it'd be good to reflect on uh, just spiritual growth. Um, If you've been comfortable this morning while you are here, uh, if you're comfortable this morning, that's good, except it's probably going to change. If you know the Lord is your Savior today, um, God's really challenged me with some things to challenge uh, my own personal life with, and and really bring it to, to... to you today, so I want you to hear that. Um, there's a passage in First Corinthians um, where the apostle Paul, who, who is this phenomenal respected leader, um, writes a letter back to a church that he helped plant. Uh, he start helped start the church in Corinth, which is just a crazy town. Corinth, by the way, is a port city, a lot like us, and just tons of odd people that were in that little church. And uh, they didn't get off to a good start. Once Paul left them, and went on to start other churches, that church kind of turned into a little bit of a disaster. And when you read the Book of Corinthians, First Corinthians, you find a whole lot of bad things going on in the church. There's, they're taking each other to law, to, to court, to public court, and suing each other as Christians. They're going into public court and suing each other and making an, a terrible name for Christ in the public arena. Um, there's, there's a uh, rumors of incest in the church and there's all kinds of bad relationships and there's fighting between over, over the silliest things. Uh, the latter part of Corinthians is all about people that fight over the goofiest little things and uh, they're like, you know, I don't like that kind of food and you like that kind of food so we can't get along together. And uh, Paul just has enough and decides to write him a letter and he's very kind for all of nine verses. First Corinthians is 16 chapters long <laughs> and uh, the first nine verses uh, pretty, flow pretty nicely um, he even says in verse 9 that they're the saints of God um, but then, then when he shifts gears um, he really shifts gears and each chapter gets a little stronger and a little stronger just so you get a taste of it you look at First Corinthians chapter 3 uh, and verse 1 the apostle Paul literally uh, calls them babies and uh, he's not being kind by the way when he says that like hey babe y'all doing a good job he's going no You're just big babies. That's that's all you are, and uh, he he had just got through explaining at the at the end of chapter two um, what spiritual people are like and some of the markers for spiritual people. And when he gets to chapter three, he says, "And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but I have to speak to you as men of the flesh, as babies in Christ. You're little bitty babies." And uh, so he's just really frustrated with them, and it gets much more intense. Chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, very intense. All of it is to say, though, to these Corinthian Christians, I have been... And Paul's really saying in, in an overall nutshell, if you read between the lines of his letter, he's saying, I've been gone for 18 months. I've been away. And I keep getting all this information back about the church. You should have grown up by now, is what he's saying. You should be different. Why am I writing to you as children when you should have solved all this? So if you've been saved for more than 18 months, if you've known Christ for more than 18 months, would you just proudly lift your hand up and say, hey, I'm a grown-up Christian now? Okay, here's the problem. If we're grown-up Christians, there ought to be some evidence of that, right? Um, There ought to be some markers in our life. Um, There's a verse in Hebrews that's going to show up on the screens here with you, and uh, parts of the verse are on your handout, but not all of it. The writer of Hebrews says, We have much to say about this area, which was, by the way, a very deep theology he was talking about just before this. But it's hard to explain because you're so slow to understand. Don't you like how those scriptures just get right to the point? (laughs) You're just slow. That's it. Here's the problem. You're slow. By now you should be teachers, the writer of Hebrews is telling his readers. But you need someone to teach you again the first lessons... Of God's message, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible to... Why do we have to go back to that? He's saying, you still need the teaching that's like milk. You're not ready for solid food. Anyone who lives on milk is still a baby. Knows nothing about right teachings. But solid food is for those who are grown up. They have practiced in order to know the difference between good and evil. So the question you would want to ask yourself today is milk or meat? You know, spiritually, are you a meat eater, or are you still taking the bottle? Uh, Brother Cochran lives next door to me now because of his health issues. He's moved in with his daughter right next door to me, which is awesome for me, by the way. And I get to visit with him quite a bit. And uh, we, he was talking the other day about uh, when he taught Sunday school class to adult men years ago. Uh, he was teaching Sunday school class to adult men, and he said they were just so immature... And he said, you know, it's just miserable to go in as a teacher and have to move their whiskers out of the way to get the bottle in their mouth. And, and I said, Yeah, I can understand that. That's probably pretty miserable. Uh, but it's true in our in the body of Christ, in the, in the church, especially the American church, there's just so much immaturity. It's all about me and what I like and what I want and what am I doing, what do I get out of this, and what am I going to do for this? That's all like a baby. Babies. Come to their, you know, come live in their home like that. What is this all? What is? What do I get benefit from this? And how does this work for me? Church isn't supposed to be like that because it's supposed to have mature Christians. And I've promised myself I would do an introduction about this and not preach. So I'm re- working real hard to not preach um, the whole point of this passage. Um, but the point is that God expects you and I to mature, to grow up. God literally expects you to be grown up in your faith, not a baby. And there's... I'm preaching against that. Okay. So um, so I'm going to give you four marks of maturity just by way of introduction. This is all introduction, not preaching, just talking. Okay? I'm going to preach some other things about what hinders that. But here's four quick marks that will help you. I'm going to work really hard to go through this. One, by the way we manage our stuff. If you want to know what a mature person looks like, just look at the way they manage their possessions and their wealth and their stuff. Mature people have a certain way of doing it. And immature people have a certain way of doing it. In Acts chapter 2, when the New Testament church was born in Acts chapter 2, the model that we have as a church comes out of Acts chapter 2, and when the church was born, here's what was supposed to happen. It actually says in Acts 2, there was this sense of awe. Sense of awe among the entire... It actually doesn't say in the church. The sense of awe was in the community, and it's not like... Oh, they're not going to sing that song again, are they? And oh, he's not going to preach that song, preach that message, is he? And oh, he's not going to wear that tie today. It wasn't that kind of awe. It was a sense of awe like, this is inspiring, like amazing. There was a sense of awe in the community, and it says several things happened, but two of them are this. There was a wonder because God was working in their midst. The signs were, verse 44, they had all things in common. This group of people that had nothing in common to begin with decided that around Jesus Christ they would bond themselves and they would just have all things in common. It's like, hey, if you have some needs, let us know. We'll help you. If you have some needs, let us know. We're, we're not going to let you go hungry if you're part of our church family. If you have food needs, we got that covered. If you have shelter needs, we're going to figure out a way. And that's, part of what I that's part of what I love about the the blessing of being at Northside is we try to find a way to meet each other's needs. And we share stuff all the time. Uh, Robbie uh, Hayford called me the other day and uh, asked me if I had a um, pressure washer um, that he could borrow because he knows I've used a pressure washer several times. And I said, yes and no. I do, but it's not mine because I've borrowed it from someone else in the church. And so I said, if you'll call Mark Wadier and ask him, can you borrow it? He'll say yes, and then you go to my house and get it. And Robbie was able to use Mark's pressure washer to do the work he needed to do, and then he faithfully brought it right back to me, which was great. So, and then I had to bring it up church. So, they, by the way, our steeple is clean now. So we got that washed last week. So with Mark's pressure washer. But that's all things in common. We just help each other. When when my mowers break down, I call Kendall, or I call Danny, and Daddy helps me. Uh, uh, when Kendall's mowers break down, he calls me, and we just swap stuff around and say, let's figure out how to survive life together. We don't have to do this alone. We survive it together. So the way you manage your stuff, a man who cannot share, cannot loan his stuff, a woman who will not loan their stuff or hoards their stuff and holds on to it, shows no evidence of belief in grace. They don't. When you cling to your stuff, you're not evidencing grace. And I'm just telling you, it's a dangerous place. It's, it's a sign of immaturity. It's baby Christians. Do you, own, do you own anything that wasn't given to you by God? Think about that. Do you own anything that wasn't a gift to you from God? You really don't. The Bible says He is is the Lord of the earth, and the earth and the Lord's is His. The earth and the Lord's is is the fullness of the earth is His. So, um, how should we handle our stuff? Well, it's real simple. Um, We should share our possessions. We should share our possessions. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness of it's His. Not Stan's, not Donald Trump's even. Okay, he's got a lot of possessions, but the fullness of the earth is not his. You know, it's not anybody's, it's not a wealthy person's stuff. It's literally God. So everything you have came from God. Second way we mess up, second way we or second way we show maturity is by the way we handle our status. By the way we handle who we are and our pride and our our wisdom. There's a sense in mankind that we have to. Be recognized. We have to be noticed. It's important that you recognize me. The most popular trend in the n- n- new generation is selfies. Even the name says there's a problem to me. Um, I've got to have a picture of me to send somebody so somebody can see me, right? And there's a, that's a dangerous trend that's in our culture today. matter of fact, more people are killed taking selfies than... And is it car accidents now? Have they, have, has that number outrun car accidents? Anyway, the statistics are crazy of people taking selfies... Is The selfie stick is the problem. They, they you know, hang out over a rail or something and then they fall to their death. Taking a picture of themselves, right? But we live in a culture where people have to have some sort of status and some sort of image. Um, and often Christians can destroy their testimonies by that. They can destroy their testimonies by being driven to attain recognition or admiration. Just driven to be admired is very, very dangerous. Romans 12, verse 3. I love this verse. For by the grace given to me, Paul says it's all grace. Even the words I'm using are come from grace. I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, Rather, think of yourself with sober judgments, in, according with, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. In accordance with the measure of faith God's given you, think of yourself soberly, not more highly. Then you ought. It. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. So I can just level the playing field with you this morning if you want. Um, pretty simple to level the playing field um, because the ground is, is uh, level at the foot of the cross. So if you always make the right choices in, in your life, I mean you always make the right choices, will you stand up? I need to get a chair, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's not sitting. If you, oh yeah, so I'm going to sit right there. So, if you always make the right choices, will you stand? Hmm, that's amazing. Um, if you always honor God with your attitude, why don't you stand up? Not any of you? Wow, that's amazing, isn't it? Um, if, you did, if you didn't sin this week at all, how about you stand up? Sit down, Curtin, No, I'm kidding. <laughs> isn't that amazing? It's level right here, isn't it? You know why? Because the cross equalizes every bit of that. Here we are in a room full of people who can't seem to get it right all the time. You're in a room full of people who can't get it right all the time. The ground's level at the foot of the cross. How many sins do you need to sin? How many sins do you have to sin in order to go to hell? How many? Just one. Anybody beat that record? No. Everybody in here guilty of that one sin? You say, well, you know, some people sin more than others, so, you know, they got to be worse people. It takes one. If, if we have taking a math test together, and I make a 35 and you make a 55, you just made a 55. You still failed. And the Bible says all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. None of us can meet the standard. So how do we manage our pride or our status? We recognize that we submit to the will of God, and it's all by grace. Everything we have in our status, everything we have in our stuff, came from God. And we, we, we honor Him with that. The third way that we show maturity is by the way we manage our speech. By the way we manage our speech or our pronouncements. Colossians 4, 5 and 6 says, let your speech always, always be seasoned with grace. You don't cut people down. You don't use your tongue to hurt somebody. I listen to husbands and wives wrestle and fight all the time over issues. And one of them will... We'll cut the other one down. And it's it's almost like I'm listening to junior high. They're 40 and 50 year old people, but they sound like junior hires when they get after each other. And it's like, hey, you're in the fifth grade again. Why do you have to jab at that? Why can't you just go, hey, that hurt? You know, we don't need, we don't need to go back and forth like that. That's a dangerous thing. So one of the ways we prove maturity is by the way we handle our speech. We have to let grace so wash through us and get completely through us that it, that it, even affects our tongue. Bible says no man can contain, control his own tongue. Only God, through the Holy Spirit, can control your words. How you treat your coworkers, How you treat your family. How you treat strangers when they've offended you or hurt you. All that's important. It's a mark of maturity. Okay? And then lastly, by the way we handle our serving. By uh, the way we handle our, our serving. This is a big part of our witness by the way we handle our serving. Either we're willing to serve others all the time. Now, this is your life. I'm going to just put your life in one of two categories. And as Christians today, here's your two categories. You're willing to serve others at all times and opportunities, or you're a self-serving person that makes a lot of excuses why you can't serve. You're one of the two today. Everybody you know is one of the two. You're saying, hey, I'll help you. Just let me know how to help. Or... You're a person that says, you know, I don't know I should be serving, but i got a lot on me today. I just don't know if I can pull that off. And, you know, i got this, that, and the other. There's just a lot of excuses that make you a self-serving person. That's the immature side. And we're real good at doing it, by the way. We're, Christians can make some of the most spiritual excuses on the planet to sound like you really have a great reason to not serve somebody that has a need the bible calls us to be servants galatians 5 13 you my brothers were called to be free he literally teach teaches all through galatians you've been freed by grace grace of god the unmeasurable the unending favor of god that you don't even deserve has poured out on you and set you free from the law of sin and death He says, Galatians 5.13, you've been free, but do not use your freedom to indulge in sinful nature. Rather, serve one another. And it's the Greek word I've told you many times about. Enslave yourself. Like the poorest, weakest of slaves that has no status. Serve one another. You need to enslave yourself to other people. So if you can't sit here today and list several, several, several selfless serving moments in your recent past, if you just can't write down several selfless moments, then you might want to evaluate whether you're growing up or whether you're stuck as an immature Christian. And don't use outdated evidence. I like it when people go, yeah. Uh, and I, I did this ministry into a Catholic neighborhood years ago, the, the church where Net and I first started working, uh, Trinity Baptist in Inslee, Alabama. Uh, Just surrounded by Catholics, tons of them. And if you would ask them about their faith, they would tell you about their works. That was just a struggle that that Catholics tend to struggle with theologically. Their faith to them is because they've done... The reason they're going to get saved is because they've done good things. And the Bible says we can't do enough good things to get to heaven. So it was a chance for us to get them into that conversation and go, Hey, Jesus was the one that paid for your sins on the cross. He died on the cross, save your sin. That's who you trust for that. The good works is because he loves you that much. And we had to kind of sort that out with him and have a good time with that. But it's very interesting because a lot of their good works were ancient. You know, I mean, I'd be talking to this 60 year old man on the porch, and he'd tell me that, you know, 20 years ago, a guy lived down there. He was an alcoholic, and, you know, I just had to go paint his house for him and all kinds of stuff. And that's how did you get into heaven? Because 20 years ago, he painted an alcoholic's house to help the family. And I'm thinking, one, that ain't going to get you into heaven. And two, that's a really old story. You know, is your faith not updated? Do you not update your faith occasionally? and <laughs> Maybe paint something else or do something different? But you know, as Christians, we'll use a lot of outdated things. You'll, you'll give yourself an excuse to not be a selfish person by using outdated data. Uh, so don't do that. Christians, I'm preaching again on it. I was supposed to just read these notes. Wow. Okay, by the way we handle our serving, our speech, our stuff, and our status. All that is evidence of maturity. So let me just give you... Now I gotta go quickly. Let me give you three things that'll help um, that, that, that'll help you understand what hinders growth in your life. There are things that you do, we that I, we do, that hinder our growth. I'm gonna just give you three of them real quick. Number one is a critical spirit. The Bible calls it in the Old Testament is a better word for it, is murmuring. Murmuring. This is sort of just be like a Christian character trait for a lot of churches. Just murmuring. People just murmur. they just, just miserable. They just murmur. They murmur about all kinds of the goofiest things. In Exodus chapter 16, I'm going to tell you the story behind it. Uh, Exodus 15 is the beginning of the wilderness wandering, and God is miraculously going to provide for Israel. And at some point, he's going to let them get really hungry. Now think about this. He's going to let them get really hungry in their journey... To the promised land. they're In their spiritual journey, he's going to let them get hungry. So, so what should they do? If they were mature and they were hungry in their spiritual journey, who should they turn to? That's not what they did at all. They just started griping at Moses like crazy and fussing and complaining. We're hungry and we, we're just terribly hungry. And so God said, Moses went to God and said, people are really hungry now. And God's like, I planned that. <laughs> So I could be their provider. I want to provide for them. And he actually provided this really cool, uh, fluffy stuff that, they, that would show up in the mornings. You didn't have to, They didn't have to work for it. They would just go out and pick it off the ground. Remember what it was called? Manna bread. That's right, banana bread. No, manna. Sorry, hungry. Uh, man, but He had bana, manna bread. Manna. Manna was all over the ground. And it was this gift from God. And it actually says in Exodus 16.31... It tasted like wafers made with honey. Oh, it was so good. Just like a little sweet wafer with honey on it, right? That's in Exodus 16. But then there's another verse, just a little bit later. matter of fact, just a few months later in the timeline. The people went out and gathered it from the ground. They beat it and, uh, and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of fresh. Now you want to put in brackets right here because in the original language it's bitter oil. The word that 's used in the Hebrew there all of a sudden, the banana bread banana bread is bitter it 's like somebody put oil on this that 's bitter I bought some rich crackers a while back. I was in a hurry going through the grocery store one night and I got some crackers and child like crackers and cheese and so I got some well i didn 't realize rich had started making different kinds of rich crackers and uh, and and, uh, and I actually wasn't going to put cheese on it. That night I was going to put peanut butter. So I tear open this little package of Ritz. Now they come in the cool little packages now. Tear that open, put it on there. Got a little peanut butter on there. Put in my mouth, and all of a sudden there's garlic and peanut butter and Ritz in my mouth. And I'm like, what the hell is that? Right? Well, that's exactly what you know. Here they are gathering up the. Anybody want some garlic ones over there at my house? And I haven't opened another package of them. But it was. I did not pay attention. But here they are, all of a sudden that which was once sweet now tastes bad. You know what the difference is? The difference is what happened in their minds as they journeyed with God. And it's recorded, it's recorded in uh, Numbers 11 just before this verse. Numbers 11 verse 4, it says, The rabble who were among them, that's the annoying Jewish people that have to stir up strife and trouble. The rabble who were among them, it says, um, had greedy desires. And and they also went to the sons of Israel and they wept and said, who's going to give us this meat to eat? We remember the fish that we used to eat in Egypt. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing at all to look at except this Manna. Oh, wait a minute now. Here's what they're doing. They're looking back into their sinful days. When they, Israel, the picture of Israel is to be set free from captivity of sin, Egypt, the literal captivity, and given to the promised land of God, right? And they're in their journey, and they look back and they go, man, we miss all that stuff back there where we were slaves. That was some really good food back there. Hey, do you remember the slavery part at all? Remember when they used to beat you? Remember when they used to make you get in mud pits? Do and... you remember any of that? No. We each remember the good food. We just remember the good food. And they're saying, we really miss the good food. And this manna, ugh, it tastes terrible now. The manna tastes exactly like it always did. What happened is their mind changed and they became complainers and murmurs about the work of God and they did not honor the gift that God had given them. When we don't honor the gifts that God gives us, life starts tasting bad. It just gets bitter. And gets more and more bitter and more and more dangerous for us as Christians because we're putting ourselves into a place where God may ultimately judge us. God very often withholds blessings from people who are full of complaints. People who are full of complaints. It's one of the things I love about our church is we don't complain a lot. So, and, and we're just gonna say to you. We've done a lot of great renovations back here. Amen? A lot of great renovations. Okay? Thankful for the guys that stepped up to that. But let me tell you, there were times in our meetings where we had to decide, what color are we going to do that in? What, who's going to pick that flooring? Who's, and everybody's like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. You know why? Because they know it's a room full of Christians. <laughs> you know? And somebody's going to take a shot. I even told one of the construction guys, I said, hey, if people don't like this color, I'm going to tell them you painted that color. We're going to put your name in the bulletin told the guy that did, I said, i won't to put your name in our bulletin with your cell number when everybody starts complaining, so don't you start, okay? But, but it's interesting to me how we get lost in the goofiest of things. We make some of the dumbest things important, and we forget the most important thing, which is lost people matter to God. And we're just trying to reach lost people, and we just want that to look excellent, so lost people can be excited about being here with us, and we can be excited about them being here, amen? Well, that brings me to the next one, which is Settling for mediocre, just doing things halfway, half speed. Listen, God has a passion. He has a passion for excellence. A passion for excellence. If you read the Old Testament, when God built the temple, when God gave the instructions of the temple, He told them what kind of brads to use to nail it all together. He told them the color schemes, He told them the designs. He told them the measurements. He told them the length and the thickness of the cloth and everything. And it was gorgeous. Even the tent that they had to drag around the tabernacle, not the temple, was amazing to look at. You know why? Because God has a passion for excellence. He doesn't do things halfway. And a lot of Christians take their spiritual life and they say, hey, you know what I got saved? I'm good. I'm good. Just not going to... I don't need to learn anything about that, I don't need to grow in that, I don't need to understand that, just going to kind of hang out now and you know, one day I'll get to go to heaven, yay, me, good deal. That is not excellent at all. Matter of fact, it's it's mediocre and God says, I expect you to live at the highest level of giving and sacrifice to me and I'm going to take you to one of my favorite verses, it's also one of the most terrifying verses in in Malachi, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6. And I'm going to read to you from uh, the message translation because I just want you to hear it in a different... Some of you have heard this verse a number of times. So just listen to it in this translation. The Lord All-Powerful, it's really the God of angel armies, the Lord of hosts. The Lord All-Powerful says, A child honors his father, and a servant honors his master. I am a father, so why don't you honor me? Talking to Israel. I am a master, so why don't you respect me? You priests do not respect me. you ask, how is it that we have shown you disrespect? You have shown it by bringing unclean food to my altar. But you ask, what makes it unclean? It's unclean because you don't respect the altar of the Lord. When you bring blind animals as sacrifices, that is wrong. When you bring crippled and sick animals, it's wrong. Try giving those to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. No. And here's what the Lord says in the next part of the verse, by the way. He says, I'd rather you just close the doors. Can we just close the doors of the temple today? Now for Israel, the temple was the meeting place of God. It's where, where God's people, the Israelites, had a chance to know God still loves them. We get to meet together in the temple. I bring a sacrifice and we're all good. That's what it meant. So... It was a way for the Israelites to feel close to God. And you know what God says? I'd really not come today. Could you just stay home? I'm going to close the doors. I want you to visit. You know why? Because you're doing things half-hearted. You don't care. You don't care. You're, you're, you're giving half-hearted of yourself. You're giving half of what you're, you should. And you're actually taking your worst animals out of your flock and bringing those like that's some sort of sacrifice for you. You're actually just getting rid of that animal and dumping it on me. He's like, I'm not, I'm not honored by that at all. I don't feel respected or loved by that at all. And God says, I'd just rather you not meet. For the modern-day Christian, it'd be like the Lord saying, hey, today, would you do me a favor when you wake up today? If you're going to live half-hearted like that, could you just give me the Holy Spirit back for the day? I'll just take the Holy Spirit back for all day. How about that? You just live by yourself without the Holy Spirit's help. Good luck with that, by the way. You don't want the Lord to take the Holy Spirit back, do you? And He promises he never will, thank goodness. That's what grace is all about. But it's really what he's telling Israel. I don't, want to, I don't want us to interact today. I don't want to be your helper. I don't want you to come to me. I don't even want to see you today because you're only doing things halfway. You don't take your prayer life serious. You don't take your Bible reading serious. You don't take anything to do with serving others and loving others and living out your testimony. You're not trying to witness to anybody. You're doing nothing for me. It's all about you. And you even your gifts are about you, not me. So how about just close the door today? Isn't that powerful? When we choose mediocrity like that, when we choose just to be half-hearted in our faith, I'm telling you, God says you're never going to grow that way. You're going to stay baby and immature the whole time. And you see it a lot in our, in our current culture of American culture. The American church is very much that way. Colossians 3, verse 17, Let every detail of your lives... Your words, your actions and whatever be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. Let every detail of your life be done for Him. So if, if God literally, if God literally was going to help you do something, or was, was living next door to you and you were going to go over and fix a house up for God, would you just go, "Hey, man, just slap some paint on there and a few boards It'd be all right. God, it's just God going to live there. That's not how that works at all. You know, if you knew he was going to be there, it would be a huge difference. Gordon Thompson is one of my favorite missionary friends from way back in Birmingham days. And uh, he came down here to help us do some construction. Uh, they did some Katrina relief and then decided, hey, Northside needs some relief too. So they came down with a little team afterwards, and he did some work. And there's some uh, large fascia boards that go down our sides here. Are those like 2x12s maybe? 2x10s? They're giant. But they're big and long and heavy, and, uh, so, and they get water damage and that kind of stuff. And we were fixing one over here, and we were putting it against another one, so you have to cut that 45-degree angle so the two of them match together and doesn't look like but one board. If you paint it right and caulk it just right, it should match perfectly. And he had a guy up on scaffolding working, and I was down at the bottom, and he was calling out numbers to me to write down, and, and then he would saw it and send it back up there. And we would, and then eventually I ended up on the other end of the board, holding it up over my head on a ladder while they're on the scaffolding, trying to get it to mesh up. And that 45 was really close to me from the far end of the board, really close. Nail it, nail it, nail it, nail it. My arms are killing me. And he'd go, no, let's take it down. We took that board up and down probably 10 times. I was so frustrated with him, and I finally said a line that I'd learned in construction a long time ago that I really shouldn't have said to him. It um, wasn't bad, by the way. But I just went to him and said, Gordon, we're not building a piano. We're not building a china cabinet. It's the outer wall of the church. That was the wrong thing to say to Gordon Thomason, missionary of God. Wrong thing. Because he looked at me and he goes, this is God's building. Jesus was a carpenter. Don't you think he would get it Right. You just go right ahead and file on it. He's literally following it now. He's got a file. He's following it so that it lines up. I'm like, yeah, you just go right ahead. I'll just very stupidly go stand out here and hold the board when it's time. Because I have been put in my place. But don't you think God expects excellence out of us? Not just when you're in the building singing worship songs all week long. Don't you think he wants you to passionately pursue him by reading your scriptures every single day? By saying, God, would you show me something new and exciting about you this week? Could you just reveal yourself a little more? I'll never, I'll never know if you don't reveal yourself because you're a mystery. So if I, if I pursue you with all my heart, with all my heart, not halfway, would you just reveal a little more to me this week? You understand? Mediocrity kills our growth. When we just choose to be mediocre, we are, we are in trouble. There's a powerful passage in Revelation where God's talking about Christians that are hot and cold. And then he talks about some that are Lukewarm. And he says, you know, if you're a lukewarm Christian, just like when you get lukewarm water in your mouth, I just spew you out. There's no enjoyment to that meat at all. I'd rather you be hot or cold. So for some of us, we just need to get off the fence and say, you know what, I'm full in or I'm going to back up for a little while. But the truth is God's calling us to be growing Christians. In fact, if you would just pursue excellence... In the one area of growing your relationship with God closer, God, I'm going to try to get closer to you. I'm going to read the Bible more. I'm going to spend more time studying the scriptures and listening to good sermons. And I'm going to spend more time with Christian people who talk about that in their small group studies. And I'm going to have a. I'm going to learn how to have a better prayer life. I've been working really hard the last six months on my prayer life, and I, f- I feel like I made like just a like I'm a inch better than I was six months ago... in my prayer life... but I'm really trying hard to make that difference... in my life... in fact... if you're pursuing excellence... In, in those areas of your life... you're going to be a better person... you're going to be a better man or woman... you're going to be a better husband... a better wife... you're going to be a better employee... you're going to be a better father or mother... you're going to be a better son or daughter... you're going to be a better friend... you're going to be a better church member... you're going to be a better uh, Walmart shopper... if you're pursuing excellence and all that you do in your relationship with God. So please, don't settle for mediocre in your life. And then number three is taking grace for granted. One of the worst things you can do to stunt your growth. And it's, it's contained in both the other two that we just listed, by the way. But it's to just take grace for granted. Romans 6, verse 1, the Apostle Paul writing to the Romans, who decided... This little theory. Here's what the Romans decided. The Greeks. They're very wise. They said, You know what? If every time I sin, God's grace has to cover me, then it shows off God's grace, right? Every time I sin, God's grace covers me. So the more I sin, the more grace there is. Hey, good old Romans they are. They're thinking with their flesh side, they're thinking with their natural man. And they're saying, hey, we can just sin all we want now because God's grace covers us and it's showing off God's grace. How about that? And Paul says, oh, don't you dare do that. He says, what should I say to that? Are we to continue in sin so that grace could increase? May in the Greek. God forbid. May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And he goes on this huge, powerful rant through chapter 6. It's one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture in all the Scriptures. And he says, Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and set you free from that. And he says, you don't need to live in sin any longer. Resist it at every level. Fight sin. Don't settle for sin because you know grace covers you. That's foolish. It's dangerous. And it's taking grace for granted. Grace means you owe a debt of love. You owe a debt of love to God. You should strive for holiness because he saved you from your sins. Now, he also saved you from hell. Let's take a quick second and reflect on that. You are saved by the grace of God from hell. That's eternal, permanent torment and torture. The Bible speaks of it as an eternal lake of fire. And it says people there, that are just miserable. There's a little peak in that. Or Jesus tells the story and just kind of peels the curtain back and peeks into that place. And the people say, just one drop of water, one drop of water. If you could just get one drop of water to cool my tongue. Eternal torment is what God saved you from. Don't you think that's worth something? Isn't that worth something for you? But Let's just erase that for a minute. What if he just saves you from your current day sins? You know what sin does? It destroys a person. Sin leads you to natural destruction. It destroys relationships like crazy. I watch it happen all the time. People live in sin and their relationships just explode. They're destroyed because they won't confess their sin. They won't work through relational issues in the Scriptures and let God teach them how. Sin destroys relationships, but it destroys people's hearts. People people get their mind all destroyed by sin they live in, addictions and those kind of things. Sin is very... Very destructive. God saved... Jesus died on the cross to save you from your today sins. The things you're fighting with and wrestling with, you could be free from those if you'll just turn to the cross and study the scriptures and do some things we'll talk about next week about how to grow, get some accountability and some help in your life. Grace means you, you owe him, though, a debt of love. He saved you from your sin. Don't you think that's worth something? Oh, my goodness. It's why we sang the song this morning, worthy, worthy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You're worthy of all our praise. You're worthy of all of it. I just want to challenge you to be strive to please God this week. Would you put God as the first thing you want to please this week? I want to make God happy. I don't care about me anymore. I want to make God happy. Um, there's a great, um, he's passed away now I think, uh, Paris uh, Readhead. Reed, um, and uh, he has this quote that's going to show up on the screen. I'm going to read you the whole quote. But let me get to this, the first part of it. it. Says He says, I have talked with people that have no assurance of sins forgiven. They want to feel saved before they're willing to commit themselves to Christ. But I believe that the only ones whom God actually witnesses by His Spirit um, that they've been born of Him are the people, whether they say it or not, that come to Jesus Christ and say something like this. Lord Jesus, I'm going to obey you and love you and serve you and do what you want me to do as long as I live, even if I go to hell at the end of the road, simply because you are worthy to be loved, obeyed, and served. I'm not trying to make a deal with you. That's spiritual maturity right there. Spiritual maturity says, God, you're worthy of it all. Doesn't matter what I get out of it. It's not ever going to be about me anymore because I've seen what you are, who you are, and what you do for me. Spiritual maturity doesn't put you in the driver's seat or you in the get something seat, right? You're not the recipient of anything. You're actually, if you're a mature person, you're supposed to be giving glory to God by how you live, by how you handle your stuff, how you handle your status, by how you serve. You're supposed to be giving God something. Even if you go to healthy end, you're saying, hey, at least I, while I was here on earth, I gave God all I could. That's what maturity looks like. And that's how we should come to him. Amen? Let's bow our heads together.